if you're a law firm and let's say you're not already a market leader and you start going with a tagline of somebody else in your market, let's say the interact, get a check or we'll fight for you or whatever, you're screwed. If you try to compete on the same mediums as a large firm that's investing millions of dollars a month, I mean, you might as well put those dollars in the shredder. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Emily, executive producer of the Game Changing Attorney podcast. And today we're flipping the script for a special edition episode to get Michael's take on the most successful approach to marketing in the legal industry, why a reputation for results never goes out of style, and why you endorse what you tolerate from your team. I think open door policies are a terrible idea because you, then you deal with the got a minute, hey, you got a minute, hey, you got a minute, right? And then you also become this crutch for your team where you start enabling them to be brain dead. So in, instead of them trying to figure out, well, how do I solve something or deal with a situation that I don't know how to deal with, they say, well, I can just go and ask you because you're always available. And then if they're always asking you, then that doesn't enable critical thinking. And then you solve those problems for them. And before you know it, you become the crutch. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. So in the last 100 or so episodes, we start with first name. Welcome to the podcast. But can I welcome you to your own podcast? Emily, you could do whatever you want. This is, for those of you listening, Emily Housley is the executive producer of the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. She's booked every single guest. She's made sure every podcast is aired. So let's welcome Emily to the podcast. Oh my gosh, the hype. Oh, the hype. Well, I, you know, today am moving from behind the scenes to behind the microphone. And we're going to put you in the hot seat, Michael, because every week we have thousands of listeners tune in and we've received messages from all over people asking you a lot of questions. In fact, many of them said, Michael, you should do an AMA podcast. AMA, you know, like ask me anything. Well, you asked and we're answering. So welcome to AMMA. Ask Michael Mogul anything. Let's do it. And today's questions are courtesy of you all. And if you have a question that you would like to ask Michael, then send him a text at 404-531-7691. And you might just hear it on the next episode. All right, Michael, question number one comes from David. And he asks, what is the best marketing approach for my law firm? Billboards. No, no, wait. Email. No. Facebook ads. No, wait, SEO. Okay, here's the deal. I think every time you get this marketing question, here's the deal when it comes to marketing. Everything works and nothing works. I know people that, let's say they run billboards and they see tremendous success. And I know firms that run billboards that have had no success whatsoever. I know people that have run social media ads and they've been very successful than those that have run social ads and it never gained traction for them. Same thing with SEO, same thing with email, same things with text messaging, same things with direct mail. And for one firm, something works great. For another firm, it doesn't work so well. And is it so much the medium or is it something else? 
And when you really think about marketing, what is marketing? It is really an amplification of a message. So what that means is that if you have a message, let's say, that does not resonate with your audience or you're amplifying that message in a place where your audience just they're not spending their time, like you're trying to reach a certain target audience, let's say Latino community, for example, in your market. But you're advertising on, I don't know, like a rock radio station or something like that. I don't know if Latinos listen to rock radio. Maybe some do. Maybe some don't. But is your message going to resonate with them? Do you have a unique value proposition? Do you differ? differentiate your firm in some way. So what it really comes down to is one, having the right message two, you're making sure that the medium in which you are advertising is where your audience spends its time. And then it's also sticking with it consistently. So for example, I know people that will start a podcast and they'll say, you know, I, I wanted to launch a podcast. I launched a few episodes. No one really tuned in. No one listened. Exactly. I mean, why would anybody listen to your podcast? I mean, think about it. Like there's thousands, tens of thousands of podcasts out there and you in South Dakota decide to start a podcast for your law firm and you're wondering why is nobody listening? There is no reason for them to listen. They've got alternatives. They can listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. They can listen to whatever, you know, the, there's all sorts of different podcasts out there. So what are you doing? Number one, let's say in the case of a podcast to get that out in front of your audience Two, how is it valuable to them? And then three, are you sticking with it? And you, are you consistent? Because I know people that have started podcasts podcasting. They did two, three, four, five episodes and they said, oh, no one's listening. It doesn't work. At the time of this podcast, we have recorded almost every single week, I think for three years straight. And there weren't as many people listening in the first week as there were in the second week, as there were in the 80th week, as there were in the hundredth week. So a lot of it also comes down to, do you stick with it? And then it's just the consistency of anything you do. So there's going to be people that, let's say they start recording vlogs and they say, well, no one's really watching. No one's tuning in because they don't have that level of penetration yet. They don't, you know, their brand's not built. They don't have an audience. So they start putting out content, but they just don't know why people aren't listening, why they aren't tuning in. And one, it's just because it's not not getting out in front of them, but two, maybe the content isn't great. Maybe it's not engaging. And then three, maybe they don't stick with it to actually build that audience. So instead of asking what is the best medium, it's really asking yourself, do I have the right message? Am I marketing that message at a place where our ideal clients spend their time? And then three, am I consistent with it enough to determine whether I'm able to gain traction or not? I mean, we've had people on this podcast, let's say, for example, Kyle Backus. Here's one that comes to mind. Kyle Backus is someone in, in the Colorado market that's had a tremendous amount of success with TV advertising and has built a strong brand. But at the time he started doing that, he tells a story of where they committed to it. And they knew at that time, even when they were signing that deal, they didn't have much money. They were told by their advertising agency that you're going to have to invest, let's say, in a year of doing this. And you might see no return on investment for a year straight of TV and you won't start to see the return until the second year. Do you still want to do it? And they went and said, yeah, OK, that's good. If that's what's going to take, then that's what it's going to take. And now they're getting significant traction. But for the people that are listening to this, that start to dabble with different mediums or hear about this new tactic, a new strategy. Oh, I hear TikTok's great. Or I hear this is great or whatever it is. It all works. But it doesn't work if you don't stick with it. It doesn't work if your messaging isn't right. It doesn't work if you're not getting that content out to your ideal clients. So I know people that are successful with text messages. I know people that are successful with direct mail. Everything works. And then at the same time, like I said, nothing works. It's just making sure that you get the messaging right, the placement right, and the consistency right. When you talk about messaging, and this isn't a question, I'm just you know curious for you to kind of expand upon it. There are a lot of attorneys that listen to this that are personal injury attorneys, and one theme messaging we hear very often is, you know, interact, get a check, you know, injured, call XYZ, we will fight for you. So how would you recommend someone who has those, I hate to say it, but pretty generic messaging approaches? Like what's a messaging approach for a personal injury law firm that you've seen or heard that you were like, damn, that's some good messaging? 
Well, okay, so one that comes uh, to mind, for example, it's like small firm attention, big firm results, mm. right? But I'll tell you, if you're a law firm, and let's say you're not already a market leader, and you start going with a tagline of somebody else in your market, let's say the interact, get a check, or we'll fight for you or whatever, you're screwed. I mean, unless you're willing to invest millions of dollars in trying to build that brand and build that message, and at the same time, you're not differentiating, so you're going to probably waste a lot of dollars because people aren't going to remember that. It's not going to catch on. You have to find a way, let's say if you're a smaller firm, to stand out and differentiate. And if you try to compete on the same mediums as a, as a large firm that's investing millions of dollars a month, I mean, you might as well put those dollars in the shredder. So you may have to find different mediums, and, and you may have to advocate for your level of customer service and client experience. Instead of marketing to being more of a volume-based firm, you're focusing on picking and choosing certain types of cases. Maybe you specialize in a particular area of law. The more specialized you are, generally the easier it is to market and differentiate, especially if you're a smaller firm. But it's just difficult to compete on the same playing field as a large firm. It's quite simply because you don't have the resources. And if you're saying, oh, I'm going to buy a few billboards because I hear billboards are successful and I got somebody in my market doing billboards. I'm going to start doing TV because I hear TV is successful. I'm going to start doing radio because I hear radio is successful. It all can work. But then you get into the details and say, well, if I'm going to buy, let's say, some TV spots and our market leader has 90% of the spots and I can, you know, I can only afford to buy, let's say, 2%, you're screwed. You might as well take those dollars and put them somewhere else and let's say in a way where you can get more penetration. I mean, we always advocate for social media in many ways because one, the barrier to entry is lowered. Two, the cost per 1,000 impressions, the CPM, cost per million, you can just get that message out into a much greater audience that's much more targeted. But again, Everything works and then and nothing works, so you're going to have to stick with it. But just because you see somebody else successful on a medium does not necessarily mean that you can just get started right away and be successful right away. Usually what you find is that they've stuck with that medium for a very long time. They've invested a ton of advertising dollars in that space. They have a very unique message. They've got a very clear value proposition. And it's just the consistency that goes along with it. And that's a good thing, too. I mean, can you imagine, for example, that if you could just, you know, overnight go from no brand to brand and that would somehow work in a market? I mean, what would be the incentive to stick with things? And imagine you invested heavily, let's say, in SEO for 15 years, and now you're at the top of the rankings, and you've got a lot of people coming to your website through organic search. That's wonderful. You've made a long-term commitment and investment in that. And if somebody could come along and just start advertising in your same market for those same keywords and outrank you immediately, then what would be the reason to invest long-term? So I think the markets reward long-term thinkers and people who invest in the long-term. So whatever it is that you decide, let's say you decide to do a podcast. I remember when we decided to do it, we made the commitment. I said, look, we're going to do it for at least a year. Every week we're going to do an episode and then we'll reevaluate, right? You don't have to commit to three years, five years, but just enough time to say, hey, is this working or not? And usually I would say that, you know, if you're going to commit to something, I would commit no less than a year on a really consistent cadence before evaluating and saying, hey, is this working or not? Because who knows? Like, so let's say the book that we released, the book originally came out, Game Changing Attorney, in 2018. The book is more popular today than it was in 2018. And it was more popular last year in 2022 than it was in 2019 and then 2020. And it's amazing when you think about that. But that's only grown and grown and grown. And now it's been several years since the book has launched. So it's just important to stick with things. Yep. Good things take time, man. Yes, they do. Always been that way. All right. Number two from Steve S. He asks, why do you give away Teslas? Man, you guys could ask me anything. This is what you <laughs> asked me. All right, Steve, I'll answer the question. So 
he's probably referring to the fact, I don't know how many it's been at this point. In 2017, we gave away our first Tesla. It was a Tesla Model S. We gave it away at the Avon Lawyeronomics Conference. It was originally part of a referral program that we were doing for our clients. And since that time, fast forward to today, I think we've now given away like 17 cars. And of those 17, I think maybe at least 13 or 14 of them have been Teslas, like a Model S, a Model X, a Model Y, a Model 3, or whatever it is. Why do we give away Teslas? I mean, the simple answer to this is really in the sense that I don't know that our audience of law firm owners would get excited about Kias or they would get excited if we gave away a Prius. And, and the real reason we do these things, it's like, oh, why do we give away cars? I mean, you have to do something to get attention. And when we gave away the first one, Chris was largely very much unknown. I mean, we were growing incrementally, maybe, you know, one firm at a time, but we did not have anywhere near the resources of some of these larger organizations that have been around for, for decades. And I thought, well, how do we stand out and get noticed? And I said, well, maybe we give away a car. And then what kind of car? Okay, a Tesla. And it's not to say that our audience couldn't buy, you know, BMW or Mercedes or whatever it is, but Teslas were cool. And Teslas were things that people got excited about, especially if they've ever ridden in one, if they were ever like had that autopilot going, or even just a lot of the functionality. I mean, you've got like Netflix in your car and you've got like Disney Plus and all this stuff, especially if you've got kids. It's a great user experience and it's a fun vehicle that was a bit different from what somebody may already own. Started with one, now we've done well over a dozen, and a lot of it just any decision that we make in terms of like what we're going to give away to our clients because it's expanded from referral programs to like our challenge when we did the crisp effect challenge to all sorts of different things that we've done is really just what's going to get people excited and what's going to get them talking i mean sometimes it's actually funny it's gone the other way too it's always interesting to me when someone will say well we're not giving cars away we've got all this substantive content or whatever it is and then you look at how many people show up to their event and you're like well maybe you should have given the cars away and had the substantive content i was about to say well come on we put out the substantive yeah, content yeah you gotta have both <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, no matter what type of business you're in, we're in the people business and you've got to get people excited. You've got to get do something different to stand out. It doesn't have to be given a car away. It could be something else. We know firms that have amazing referral programs with other attorneys where they do golf tournaments and they do, you know, just VIP golf outings, whatever it is that works for you. But there's nothing wrong with doing something different. Just if you're going to do something different, stand out, get people talking. Maybe they'll be talking about it in a positive way. Maybe they'll be talking about it in a negative way. They'll be criticizing it. They're still talking. So you're getting those impressions, you know, some paid for, some unpaid for, right? The cheapest ones are the ones coming from your critics, because then (laughs) someone's like, oh, wait a second, this company I've never heard of, they're giving away a car, let me look into them. And then they start to know you, then they get on your email list, then they start listening to your podcast, then they buy your book. And before you know it, they're a client and they're coming to your event. And it was all because somebody was critical of what the, you know what it is that we were doing. It goes either way. But yes, yeah, Steve, that is the answer. Why we give away Teslas is just because Priuses and Kias won't do. If we could just give away a Toyota Camry, I promise we wouldn't invest in, in giving away a Tesla. I mean, we've also done a Rolls Royce. We've done that Corvette Stingray. We've done a Ferrari. This past year, we did a G-Wagon. We've got something cool coming up this year. We'll see. But you just got to get people excited. Yeah. So were you excited or sad when you had to give your Tesla away last year? I was actually I went in a period of mourning because that that, <laughs> that was my was favorite sick. car. That car period. was sick. The Tesla Model S Plaid. I mean, that car is just ridiculous. It was zero to sixty in one point nine seconds, so it's just stupid fast. Oh my like, gosh! I remember when you took the team out and like we all got to ride in it, and I was thinking, man, how cool is this car? Like, how fast can it really go, guys? I'm serious. Like my stomach, I have never felt like it's like <laughs> my a roller stomach coaster. Drop in a car like that. It's yeah, sick. And, and then it's and it's got like it's a sedan, so you could put two car seats in the back and. 
and everything about it is just a pleasure to to drive. But again, congratulations to our winner, oh, Erica. Erica Riggs. That was probably my favorite car out of all of them so far. Uh, that was very, very <laughs> difficult to part with. But at the end of the day, it went to someone who was very deserving and it was a great experience. True, true. Shout out to Erica. All right. Our next question comes from Adam and he asks, as a business owner, how do you deal with constant interruptions? So, OK. So well, Michael, I'm sorry, I was go making ahead. a joke. Go ahead, <laughs> that make was a, a constant joke. interruption. <laughs> there you go. That was OK. That got me. Well, so here's the thing about constant interruptions. I used to actually be, be horrible with this. I used to be very reactive, whatever would happen. I'd wake up in the morning, I would check my messages, I'd see if there's text messages, a voicemail, slacks, whatever. It was, you know, if there was ever bad news, it would just throw my day off immediately. You know, as a, as a business leader, you have to start taking control of your day. So if you have constant interruptions, in many ways, it's because you allow constant interruptions. So it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be problems and different situations that arise, but is that something you have to handle immediately? I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, whether you run a law firm or another type of business or whatever it is, I mean, we're not doing open heart surgery. So whatever it is that arises, is nothing that can't wait a couple hours until the end of the day. Like, it's not an emergency, right? You're not doing like a, a quadruple bypass. They need you right now, doctor. Yes, there's going to be things that happen, but if everything becomes an exception, then you're going to be very reactive and you're not going to be able to lead your day in a certain way. So it, I think one, it starts with first setting those boundaries in the sense that let's say from this time to this time, like you're going to be doing deep work. Let's say it's from noon to 4 p.m., right? No interruptions. But there is a way that somebody could, let's say they've got a message they've got to get to you or whatever it is from four o'clock to five o'clock, you'll handle those messages, right? It kind of goes in a different direction. It, you know, it get, goes against the open door policy in the sense I think open door policies are a terrible idea because you, then you deal with the got a minute. Hey, you got a minute. Hey, you got a minute. Right. And then you also become this crutch for your team where you start enabling them to be brain dead. So in, instead of them trying to figure out, well, how do I solve something or deal with a situation that I don't know how to deal with? They say, well, I can just go and ask you because you're always available. And then if they're always asking you, then that doesn't enable critical thinking. And then you solve those problems for them. And before you know it, you become the crutch. So instead, if you can allocate some time and say, hey, you know what? If you've got any challenge that arises, I'm going to be available from four to five, right? Let's say the problem arises at 10 o'clock in the morning. Most of the time I found it never even makes it to four o'clock. It's usually solved by then. So I think you can deal with constant interruptions by setting aside boundaries and not allowing yourself to be interrupted. Turn off those notifications on your phone. Like turn off every single notification with the exception of perhaps phone calls. So you're not constantly checking your phones. I mean, I know people that have like screen time of like 20 hours a day. And it's like, where are you, right? Is that the most productive use of your time to constantly be checking your phone, a new message, a new whatever it is, a new dopamine hit, boom, 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 boom. So it starts by setting those boundaries and then still, you can still field any of those challenges and making yourself available to your team at certain hours of the day or certain days of the week or whatever it is. But it's recognizing that if you allow yourself to be reactive before you know it, you're going to be a crutch for everybody. True, 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 true. All right. Next question comes from Marie, and she asks, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow and you had to start at ground zero? No crisp, no brand, no money. What would you do to rebuild your life or your next business? So I think about this all the time, yeah. and 
I I believe that we're all probably what three or four bad decisions from going back to zero. So I'm I'm constantly thinking about this. Maybe a little too paranoid, but if I went back to zero, ground zero, wiped out bank accounts, wiped out you know no brand, no company, nothing. I had to start over again. I actually think I would be all right. And I don't say that with any arrogance, and I I don't you know, want to come across with any hubris, but I think I would still have the most valuable thing, right? That wouldn't be taken away from me. I mean, it, it's not money and it's not brand. It's not all these things. It really is one, the capabilities that you've learned and gained across your journey, because you've learned a lot of things. You've learned how to grow your business. You've learned, let's say, how to hire people. You've learned how to train and develop teams. You've learned, you know, certain aspects of marketing and sales and operations and finance and so on, that those skills, those stay with you. And then perhaps the most important one is you maintain your, your courage, meaning that if it all went back to zero, just because that's where it was at one point in 2012 it was pretty close to zero. It was about 500 bucks. It's the confidence of knowing if I did it before, I could do it again. And I still have the most valuable skills, which are my capabilities, right? Like I still have that and courage, the willing to try again and, and the willingness to try again and again and again. That in itself means that no matter what anybody takes away from you, you maintain your most valuable capabilities. And when you look at that, so let's say no one has to necessarily take that away from you, but then you think about if that's the most valuable thing, then maybe that's what I should be focusing on developing and honing, right? My skill sets. How can I be a better leader? How can I be a better father? How can I just be a better marketer? How can I be a better operator? You know, whatever it is, if you can start developing those skills, those are the things that really catapult you to that next level. And even if you get knocked down one rung, two rungs, whatever it is, you could do it again because you maintain those capabilities and you maintain the courage to try again. So what would you do again? I mean, what, what would your next business be? So, well, you've got to start somewhere. Let's say you've got no money and you've got no brand and you've got no recognition. You can't just reach out to a friend and say, hey, can you loan me some money? Because again, under this scenario, mm-hmm. you don't have any friends or you don't have any credibility. So there's no one that's willing to do that. So for me, if I still had, let's say my skills, my capabilities and, and the courage, I would start by just reaching out to anybody, any, let's say any business owner, could be in any industry, could be a gym, could be a nail salon, could be anything and, and reach out to them and figure out, okay, what are your challenges? Maybe they say, hey, my challenge is a acquiring customers or whatever's or cash flow. And I come in and say, well, let me help you with that. Let me help you solve this problem. You don't have to pay me anything until this problem is solved. And then you know, just paid on performance. And once that's solved, boom, I've got some cash. I can invest that into starting a business because to me, it would always go entrepreneurial, right? It would always you know, start a business and starting a business is you're really in the business of solving problems. I figure out well, what is a big problem that needs solving and you know, and then start scaling again, one at a time, one client at a time, then the two, then the three, as my capacity starts to strain, then I'm hiring an additional person to expand my capacity, and then before you know it, we've got a team, then, you know, then with a larger team, you've got different leaders, and you just get back to where you were, and in many cases, so when you hear about these stories of like a company going bankrupt or a leader just going back to ground zero, it doesn't take them that long to get back to where they were. It's usually, you know, let's say they spent 10, 20 years building a business that goes bankrupt. You think, man, they're down and out. And before you know it, two, three years later, they're right back to where they were. And you're like, dang, how do they do that so quickly? And it's because they still had those skills and they still had those capabilities. And money is the most abundant resource on this earth. So there's always somebody out there that is a problem that needs solving. There's always, let's say, a community of people, clients, customers, the market, whatever it is, that is willing to pay for solving problems, whether you can make things easier for them, whether you can help them with something, whether you can make things faster, whether you make things better, whatever it is that exists. And I think many people become entrepreneurs because they enjoy the process
process of solving problems. So you just go from solving small problems to solving big problems. And the bigger the problems that you solve in this world, the more you are compensated for solving those problems. So maybe I start with a small problem and then it starts to build and build and build and build. And then before you know it, you're solving big problems again and you're bigger than you ever were. All right. That's three questions, three answers. All the time we got for AMMA today. But Michael, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. And I look forward to having you back on for the next one. We'll have to do this again because I think we got about a thousand questions. We do. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll work our way through them. All right, sweet. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, leave this podcast a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. Oh, 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 oh,